0: Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Smart Pro Pros for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richarding Associates, a registered investment
1: advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health.
0: We give common-sense solutions to your complex problems.
1: I'm Steve Marber, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice.
0: And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I also have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
1: We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly podcast show. Um, We're up every Friday and, uh, you know, Friday afternoons, you can get us right off our website. Right, John?
0: Yeah, it's very, very easy. See, we have a a button, radio button on the right hand side. You can click that and go out to our, it's called Podbean. It's it's where we host the uh, podcast and we have all the shows from the past and uh, it's categorized as well. So we make it easy for you to listen.
1: Yeah, you can listen to all our old show, old shows there, or you can pull us down on iTunes. So we're on iTunes and our website, MoneyMD.net. Easy to listen to us. And do check us out, out on our website, MoneyMD.net, where you can link to us there, email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll post those on the show, and we'll talk about their, your answers. So we'd love to hear your questions. You can also email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. Well, John, I think we have an interesting show here leading up to Christmas. You know, first off, we just want to say Merry Christmas Man, to everybody. That's right.
0: Great time of the year.
1: Right here. It's my favorite, one of my favorite times of yeah, the it year. It really is. You know, and... Uh,
0: kind of puts things in perspective on uh, all the craziness and hustle and bustle that goes on, but it boils down to, to family and friends.
1: Exactly. Family, yeah. friends, you know, your faith. Um, your faith, just, absolutely. Just a great time of the Being year together to and reflect celebrating. on all those things. And reflect on all the blessings that we've received, mm-hmm. you know, over the year from... Uh, from the Lord. So that's just a great time. So Merry Christmas to everybody out there. But we do have a great show. You know, we're going to talk about um predictions. It's that time of the year again. And we have the wimpy market predictions for 2017. Not our wimpy ones. <laughs> Not ours, no. but you know, we're just looking at all the predictions that are out there and they're they're all over the place and uh but there's a ton of them that they're mostly kind of wimpy. They're positive though. So We're going to so,
0: give a bold one though, aren't we? We are. We are. Well, we always we step give a ball right prediction. We
1: do. We're going to step right out Get there on that a limb. crystal ball. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you want to listen in for that.
0: That's right. We're going to follow that up with a um, uh, an article out of CNBC about uh, millennials. They've been in the news a little bit with all the election... Um, You know, they're they're the younger generation born between 1980 and 1999, and we're going to look at some of the things that they're doing really well financially and then also some areas that they need to to focus on and and have an attention. So if you have kids or grandkids, this may be a good segment for, for you to let them listen
1: to. Yeah, that's a big category in this, folks from, what, 16, 17 years old all mm-hmm. the way up to 30. That's right. So 30-something. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big, big range. A lot of people fall in that category. Interesting article, no, let, no doubt. All right, we're going to start off with the financial fact of the week.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting um, fact, Steve. This talks about land ownership in the United States. And I didn't realize this. Um, the federal government owns 28 percent of all land in the United States. It's about 640 million acres. So a little bit over a fourth is owned by the government. I've never really sat back and thought about ownership. It is. It is a very large piece, which is good. I mean... We were watching a movie the other night, and in, in New yeah. York City, and in, in uh, you know Central Park, right in the middle of it, is just fabulous. How they carve that yeah. out, um, and you know the, the national parks that are out there are you know great, Phenomenal. American treasures.
1: Yeah, we have amazing national parks and American treasures, like you said, it's a tremendous resource for all Americans. You know all of the parks and land out there, um, but twenty eight percent, boy, that is a big number. Some it is. I was thinking it was less than ten. <coughs> yeah. But you think they pay property tax on that? I'm kind of doubting it, John. <laughs> pay themselves. Yeah. I mean, economically, <laughs> you know, it's unproductive land, so I'm not so sure that government needs to be added to that. But uh, still, it's it's a. I really cherish the national parks, and mm-hmm. you know, it's a tremendous resource. Yes, yeah, so. absolutely. Interesting fact of the week. All right. Um, that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is the Wimpy Market Predictions for 2017. Yeah, I mean, they were we'll base this out of an article on Yahoo Finance and Barron's here this past week. Where they came out with all their predictions. They do like their survey of all the analysts out there, or a lot of analysts out there, and they give you their predictions. And so, you know, here we go again, John. I mean, it's that time of the year. So we're going to we're going to take an early look at. What economists at all the major firms are saying about stocks for next year. And they
0: did such a good job predicting the market after the Trump election. So this is a great investing tool here. That's right. They're always so amazing (laughs) at at their predictions, you know. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And so yeah, I mean we'll we'll preface this by saying you take this with a grain of salt. I mean these are interesting, interesting. Yeah, these are just gut feels that are out there. Some people even call these the con take the contrarian view and say well with all the analysts are predicting this then i'll do the opposite you know so you, you can't really hold a lot of water here but it is interesting nonetheless yeah the analysts are coming out of the woodwork they're making these bold predictions for 2017 Okay, well, really not quite that bold. (laughs) In fact, I'd say they're rather wimpy, you know. Remember that commercial back from the 80s, the hefty trash bags? Yeah, right, right. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. (laughs) Well, that's the way I see these predictions. I mean, they just aren't really taking any risk here, you know. And they they usually are – I think they're out of fear of being wrong. Mm -hmm. They just play it real conservative. Definitely not in the spirit of Trump, you know. I mean – the market reality is almost always turns out to be much worse or much better than these guys predict. You know, so, I, but they are freely given their opinions about the market, you know, and as usual, they're all over the board. So, you know, they're definitely displaying a more optimistic theme this year, which is good news. Yes, yeah, CNBC's market strategist survey says that U.S. stock should rise slightly in 2017 as equities benefit from tax cuts you know that Trump is planning to implement their survey of 13 strategist outlooks published uh since the US election found that the median 2017 S&P 500 uh target price was 2325 which is about 3% above where it was at the close of last week. Yeah, not a big move. Not a big move, 3%. Wells Fargo Investment Institute gave a similar range, like 23.30, which is another. you know. So, wow, such a bold 3% prediction, <laughs> right? Reminds me of the wimpy, wimpy, wimpy commercial. I mean, you know, the market made more than last month, right, John?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The the U.S. stocks have soared since, um, since Trump won the election. Um, as traders are betting on the growth, uh, that you hear from Trump about tax cuts and in- infrastructure spending, deregulation. I mean, the S and P 500 climbed more than five percent since the election, and uh, it's up you know ten percent you know year to date. So you know that benchmark really didn't have a good 2015. It actually was about one percent lower. So it was due for a better year, but man, the last couple of weeks have been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, they really have been amazing here in the past. Uh, particularly a couple, you know, six weeks, mm-hmm. I'd say, since the election. I mean analysts say that the major risk for stocks though is whether or not Trump can quickly implement all those proposals, you know, after his inauguration on January twentieth. The prospect for a reduced capital gains tax rate next year under Trump's administration may also be pushing out any seasonal market declines. So they're they're taking kind of a bullish tone here due to his policies and uh, Goldman Sachs outlook describes the potential stock market action as kind of a hope trade that sees the S&P peaking around 2400 in the first quarter before falling 100 points to 2300 by the year end in a fear trade on higher inflation and the Federal Reserve rate hikes you know so they're taking a really sanguine yeah, you know, type approach, saying, oh, we're going at $2,300. we are almost there now. I mean, we're at 2268 mm-hmm. or something this morning, I looked. So, yeah, that's that's not bold at all. Other strategists see stocks continuing to climb past their mid-year targets. Cities uh, analyst also expects the S&P 500 could trade at around 2250 in the middle of the year before ending the year at 2325 which, again, is only 3% yeah. gain. That's yeah. nothing. Um, Dutch Bank expects the S&P to hit about 2250 by January the 20th on Inauguration Day and then climb to 2300 upon the sizable capital gains tax cut before ending the year at 2350 about 4% above last week's close. So <laughs> that's not real impressive no. either. The time in between inauguration and tax cuts might be risky waiting for stimulus cuts um, when the market reflects such, uh, you know, capital gains, uh, you know, tax cuts in stocks. Um, The Fed will pause until and until the act is passed, they're saying. And then he expects the corporate tax rate will be cut to twenty five percent. Trump. Yeah, Trump's proposed cutting corporate taxes from 35% to 15% along with a one-time 10% tax rate on repatriated yeah. corporate profits. That's positive. Yeah, so that's all positive news if their tax cuts really do go through.
0: Yeah, there's some other uh, firms that give uh, a range and Bank of America did a range that it could go as high as 2700 or fall to 1600
1: That's that, a big range. That
0: pretty much covers, uh, you know, it's like us saying, it's 50% chance of it going up and 50% chance of it going <laughs> <went> down. <laughs> That's right. Um, so they have it covered on that. Exactly. And um, they go on to say that 2016 – is on pace to be the weakest year of global growth since 2009. So it wouldn't take a lot to get improvement in next year if we have some positive things in the economy, Um, you know, the stimulus and the tax reform. So, um, you know, it's fun reading these things. And, uh, you know, they have no clue what's going to happen.
1: They really don't. They really don't. Yeah, if the policy makers can't deliver the growth, then the markets will be disappointed, you know, given the multiple expansions that we've seen in stimulus they're saying I mean, buybacks are slowing down, cost cutting is reversing, elevated valuations and leverage ratios along with the weak sales growth, you know, paint a grim picture. So, you know, that's somebody that's kind of bearish. I mean, there's always, there's like you said, they're all over the board. Um, Barclays is saying the S&P could climb to 2,500 as earnings per share could grow as much as 12% uh, if Trump's plans are implemented. Now, that's a lot more you know, like it. I mean, that's a little more of a bold statement because that'd be about a 10% gain at 2,500. Um, and, you know, 12%, uh, you know, gain in, in earnings. That, that would be a pretty nice thing to see as well. Mm-hmm. Morgan Stanley expects the S&P to hit 2300 over the next 12 months, but could fall as low as 1625 oh, goodness. in the worst-case scenario or rise as high as 3050 Wow. Oh, boy. That's, they're really bold <laughs> I, on these. That's a lot of conviction there, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, uh, so they're just all over the board with their prediction. I mean, just no conviction whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Here's a good one, Steve. Barron's Magazine, um, back in September, they were they were bearish for the fir- first time in several years. They lowered their expectation on the S and P 500, you know, citing uh, election uncertainty and high valuations. Had that work out? <laughs>
1: yeah, right. And they they missed that one by just a little just bit, just a little they?
0: bit. And they just came out with their, their big, you know, story published uh, recently, 2017 stock market outlook. And once again, you know, the, the analysts are in agreement. This bull leg. Uh, Bull market has legs. So, um, you know, they changed their tune really quick. Real quick. Yeah, they they? missed it just a little bit, didn't they? Just
1: a little bit there back in September. That's not too good. Yeah, I mean, their outlook at this time of the year was pretty accurate, though, last year. Um, Their average year in forecast for the S&P, which was bullish at the time, was 22.20, and the index was at 22.58 last year week so you know that wasn't too bad i mean but they just took a very they always take a very conservative mm-hmm, approach mm-hmm. all these folks do and so if it if it turns out to be kind of a so-so year i think the you know they all claim victory that yeah. they predicted it you know i mean they're just kind of taking the middle of the road approach they don't want to be risky on either end well
0: they they have no idea no one knows
1: There's they have many, they have no way too many factors That's, that's the key. They have no idea. Yeah, I mean, Barron's, uh, uh says that the prospects of a corporate tax cut and other reforms have turned sentiment around on Wall Street. They cite the biggest risk of market corrections if the Republicans don't make good on their promises uh, to uh, uh, and their proposals by the middle of the year, especially on tax cuts. And their strategies estimate that the S&P earnings growth would be around 7%. Um, next year, and uh you know, but they hadn 't factored in most of trump 's proposals mm-hmm. and they 'll continue to watch the how the Fed responds to changes in the economy um you know, as we know, Fed raised rates again last week for the second time in about a year mm-hmm. so uh we 'll see you know if they continue on then that would make a difference
0: yeah, but, you know and and a lot of people are bullish I mean, you listen to the the market pundits and so forth um so a lot has been been priced in from the infrastructure spending to some of the tax cuts. Um, You know, but the the Republican Party is is wary of spiking the government deficit. That's the other piece that we really haven't talked about very much is – You know, we want to have growth, and the growth can actually help the deficit. But you, the growth doesn't come and you've cut all of this revenue, that's an issue, um, you know, long term.
1: It definitely is. Yeah, the deficit, they have to address that at some point down the road. But, yeah, the money doctors, of course, we suggest that you take all this with a grain of salt, as we mentioned. No one knows what the market's going to do next year. So, you know, you need to stay prudently diversified, prepared for whatever the market throws our way. Yeah, we all have our gut feel. I mean, mine happens to be kind of bullish for next year since we haven't had a really good market since 2013. However, it only takes one negative event to undermine the market. So anything can happen. You know, now that we're having a nice finish of the year, it might be a great time to take a look at your portfolio. Make sure you're well diversified. Ensure that you're not taking a lot of unnecessary risk like in individual stocks or sectors. And give us a call if we can Mm -hmm. help with that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our advice. All right, um, that leads us up here to our pers- question. Uh, question of the week.
0: Yeah, this um, comes from a client, uh, real positive. They just sold their business for a million dollars. Wow! Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so the question is: Is what should I do with the proceeds? And great question. We had a segment yeah. on that last week. Um, I think the first thing you need to do is have a good team. And so they they're working with a CPA firm. We're helping good. them out as well. So there's going to be a tax liability more than likely that you have to make sure that you put aside some of that cash and, you know, the IRS is going to come take their, their piece of it. Um, and then the next step is really planning on their financial situation. So paying off some debt, uh, they're debt free. They have a, a very large emergency fund now, which is really Great. good. And then, you know, working towards the retirement piece of it. So, you know, like we talked about in the uh, segment, you know, last week is, is getting a team of people that can help you plan, get some ideas of what to do and what not to do.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Exactly right, John. And, and the one thing I would say about entrepreneurs that, you know, sell their business and have a big windfall like that is they have to resist the urge to go take a lot more risk and go start a new business. Mm-hmm. A lot of them want to do that because they're entrepreneurs and, you know, that's that's kind of ingrained in them is to take risk and do it all again. Um, but, you know, you, you don't often strike gold twice yeah you know you got it you gotta you get older you've been successful it might be time to take your cards off the table and you know cash in your chips and but but divers but invest but diversify mm-hmm. be careful you know be prudent this time um you know running a business is fantastic and when you start off you don't have a lot to lose because you start off with a little bit of capital but you know once you've made it good in a business and you sold it then it's time to get serious about diversifying it and not taking as much risk, you know, in the latter part of your life. Yeah, I agree. So, um, you know, that's our quick word to the wise there for for selling a business. All right, and that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um, an open letter, you know, to millennials. Yeah, this uh,
0: is from CNBC, Alex Mitchell. Kind of looking at the statistics, Steve, of millennials, that's the – Folks who were born between uh, 1980 and 1999 is uh, generally uh, what people um, classify them, uh, you know, years as. And um, just looking at their financial habits and what they're doing good and, you know, individuals in this generation are generally, they're more optimistic, they're more diverse. Uh, much more expressive I think social media than the older generations right um, you know as an individual you know uh, if you 're born in the middle of that generation um, you know it 's interesting how the behaviors of your your parents and what you hear in the media um, differ from maybe what you 're doing in some cases so we 're going to go through and look at some of the uh, financial wins um, you know and what they 're doing well and then we 're going to look in the in the flip side and see some things they need to improve on yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so what do millennials do better? I mean, number one here on the list is they value education, um, which is terrific. I mean, more millennials have a college degree than any other generation of young adults. Um, in a recent survey, 47 of, percent of 25 to 34 year olds who are kind of in the, you know, the latter, the earlier part of the millennials, they received a post-secondary uh, degree. So that's terrific. College graduates also earn about an additional million dollars during their working lives compared to high school graduates. So millennials are investing in their future in that way, um, which is great news, you know, but they're, they're the question is, are they paying too much for it? Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to that later. But yeah, college loans is a whole other issue. Uh,
0: absolutely. But education is good. That's a positive. Another second thing here on the list is um, that they're that they do better is they don't buy cars which is interesting. And some don't even get driver's licenses. Um, millennials are about 29% less likely than those in the, the uh, Gen X um, uh, portion to purchase a car. So, you know, if you look a little bit deeper in 2015, the share of car originations in the 22 to 35 age bracket was a, approximately 25% lower than it was in 2003 when you looked at the Gen Xs at that time frame. Wow. So, and, you know, this it's Good news for the millennials. We talked about owning cars are expensive.
1: Yes. Right? They I mean, there's upkeep,
0: are. the maintenance, the the gas insurance, you know, you have the depreciation and so forth. Um, one of the reasons why, you know, they have a lower car ownership really shouldn't be surprising. If you look at Uber, you know, a lot of people are yeah, using Uber. Right. If you live in big cities, they're all over the place. Lyft is another one. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to get around transportation wise than when we grew up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they live in the big cities. There's all kind of mass transit, you know, bus systems and all that. So, um, yeah, I mean, for the big city, that's a real option. and I think more millennials are taking advantage of it. Yeah, it is.
0: So that's uh, that's another one. They're not buying cars, which helps them save money. Um, Number three is uh, living at home with their parents. And, Steve, this was interesting. For the first time since 1880. Wow. Not 1980, 1880, young adults aged 18 to 34 are more likely to live with a parent than in any other arrangement.
1: Wow, you I, have to I, wonder why that is. I,
0: I don't know. I, it, it, that shocked me.
1: Yeah, I mean, and then even more surprisingly, this trend isn't being driven by a lack of employment, but rather the high cost of rent, delayed marriage, large increase in the the high school education only segment of the generation. Um, so it's interesting. That's according to Pew Research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a generation that has the second highest. Debt burden. uh, This is a good financial news. Yeah, they're saving money on rent. Saving, it should be saving a ton of money. Yeah, the the millennial generation members who live at home could theoretically save a lot more of their paycheck and pay down their debt faster, right? So hopefully they're doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah. So here's um, here's some things they're doing right or not doing right. Okay. All right. So Uh they they had we had a positive list. Now we have a negative (laughs) list here. Uh Little to no savings. I mean, twenty three percent. Of younger millennials don't have a savings account, and that goes for older millennials as well. What's interesting, um, Steve, is it doesn't appear to be driven by income. For those millennials who make seventy-five to a hundred thousand a year, forty-three percent don't have a savings account or anything
1: saved. Wow, that's that's not good. I wonder if they, they the feeling is they're going to be taken care of more by the government. I, I don't you know. know. I don't after know. eight years of kind of a more socialist view, I don't know. It's it's interesting. They, they they need to get real.
0: Yeah, it's it's yeah. sad, but you know, it, 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 they, there's compounding interest out there they're missing on.
1: Absolutely, that's right. I mean, take a simple example of this. Um, you know, Susan saves five thousand dollars a year, uh, and it does that for ten years from age twenty five to thirty five. Bill saves five thousand dollars a year, but does it from age thirty five to sixty five for thirty years. Mm-hmm. So he does it the next. 30 years after Susan and then John saves $5,000 a year, but he does it the entire period from 25 to 65 for 40 years. So the question is who saves the most by retirement? Well, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, it's, it's the person doing it for 40. It's John, right? No, no question about that. But by how much is the question he will have saved over two times as much as Bill, which is the person that saved for 30 years, but waited for 10 years to do it, mm-hmm. so he's only he's doubling that person, but also two times as much as Susan, which is interesting because Susan only saved for 10 years, but since Susan saved the first 10 years, she out saved Bill, um, who tried to play catch up by saving for 30 years.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: So the interesting fact is, this is the power of compounding interest. You know, the earlier you save. A lot more. It makes a lot bigger impact on your bottom line down the road. And this is probably run at eight to ten percent return. Right. I don't know which number it's run at, but um, you know this comes from <coughs> Business Insider, but it's a good illustration that you don't want to wait. You want to save immediately. Yeah,
0: the sooner the better. Um, exactly. So that's one of the things millennials are not doing well. They're not saving today. It's hard to play catch up later. They have a solution here. It's um, uh, it's an app. Go figure, right? Uh, an automatic savings app is called Digit. And it links your accounts and uh, determines the safe amount to transfer to that savings account periodically. So... Check that out. That's pretty uh, interesting. So that's number one on the list. Number two on the list is uh, they pay high rent. So we talked about millennials staying in their parents' home uh, more so, but if you're, if they're buying houses, they're spending more of their income towards a house. So kind of a rule of thumb is about you know twenty-five or thirty percent of your take-home pay should uh, should go towards housing and, and no more. For a millennial um, earning sixty thousand a year, that's about eleven hundred dollars of rent or a house payment per month, significantly higher when you look at some of the large cities. You know, it's 60% range, 50 to 60% is going towards the housing. So they're house. basically house poor.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of millennials are choosing to live in big cities, and that's hurting them financially. Yeah, no doubt. Because it's just so expensive in big cities. But they want that atmosphere. Like they said, they're not, you know, more of them are choosing not to buy a car. Well, that's because they are more of them are living in big cities, I think. You know, because obviously if you live in a rural area, you have to have a car. So I I don't know. It's interesting statistics. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. So solution for millennials, you know, this is an old fashioned one, you know, live with a roommate, either split a one bedroom with a friend or share with several roommates in a house. It's the only way to still live in a desirable area of the city, um, you know, which is a big want for a lot of millennials while not breaking the bank or at least not too badly.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the last one here on the list, Steve, is uh, millennials have no, almost no investments. I mean, you know, nearly four in five millennials are not investing in the stock market. That's according to Business Wire, and um, you know, lack of money is is a is a barrier. Um, there's also appears to be a trust. Uh, Boundary here, trust issue. uh, As a large portion of the millennial generation, they matured uh, during the 2008 2009 financial crisis. So that's right. Yeah, I mean, over a third of millennials would actually trust an, an app on their phone to manage your money versus a traditional investment firm. And um, so that's that's, uh, that's kind of a different, you know, mindset. Um, hopefully they're starting to see that, you know, and understand that markets have downturns. It's actually normal. Right. Uh, it doesn't feel good as you're going through it, but it's happened in our history. And um, it's something that you need to plan for. But there are good times in the market as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we've seen this before. I mean, there was kind of a lost generation in the stock market back in the early 80s. Folks that matured, mm-hmm. you know, and saw the 73, 74 crisis and the oil embargo and you know the double-digit inflation period and people didn't trust stocks over that period either and then the next 20 years were the best 20 years almost ever Mm -hmm. in the stock market And, and a lot of them missed out on that so you know you can't let you know one bad decade one bad period for stocks um Tarnish the overall view that over the last 80 years, the stock market has returned 10% or mm-hmm, more mm-hmm. per year, even with all
0: those big dips. With
1: all those big dips, you can't do that anywhere else. Fixed income's paying nothing. So, for millennials out there listening, you need to get in the stock market. You know, get, get in the, the game. game. <laughs> exactly, because you're going to miss out. You know, and you got to save early. So, uh, fund that Roth IRA. That's usually our there you go number one advice for, for millennials. All right, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this is
0: to um, to check your insurance. You're going to make some phone calls on this to see what um, is covered. Some insurance, believe it or not, uh, will cover gym membership fees, weight loss programs, yeah. uh, grief counseling. Um, if it helps the employee, you know, have less claims, they're probably more likely to cover it. So, yeah, if you're yeah. exercising, there, they view that as.
1: And there's some things that are required to be covered now by by health insurance, like your annual physical, Mm -hmm. you know, it's absolutely free. So you need to take advantage of that. So like you said, check out your health insurance plan, you know, see what's covered and take advantage of all those benefits because, yeah, some of those are pretty nice. And you're paying for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, all right. That brings to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week. To hear more prescriptions for your financial health, check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at MoneyMD.net. Give us a call. Richard Young, Associates, social 706 725 Thanks for listening. Have a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.